Today is the seventh Sunday after Trinity Sunday, and the Gospel reading appointed for this day is taken from the eighth chapter of St. Mark's Gospel, beginning with the first verse. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about four thousand, and he sent them away. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from Jesus Christ, his Son, our Savior. Amen. In the Old Testament reading from Jeremiah chapter 31, God's word declares, And there shall dwell in Judah itself, and in all its cities together, together, farmers and those going out with flocks. For I have satiated the weary soul, and have replenished every sorrowful soul. We are told this in the context of the Lord being described as the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. In other words, specifically we are told this in the context of God being described as the one who commands all the host of heaven, and who is the God over Israel, as those with whom the Lord has established his covenant. Though there are many farmers and shepherds, it is the Lord who satiates the weary soul and replenishes every sorrowful soul. In the midst of all our earthly labors and all our burdens and sorrows, is the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who has delivered us out of death through faith in the Christ, that provides for us, who cares for us, and who opens for us the way of eternal life. Therefore, in the collect, our prayer is directed to God, whose never-failing providence orders all things, both in heaven and earth. In the Gospel reading, we hear of the feeding of the four thousand. In certain regards, the feeding of the 4,000 seems so much like the feeding of the 5,000 that at a superficial glance, one can be tempted to confuse them for one another. But there are a number of crucial differences. With the feeding of the 5,000, it was the ignorance of the people that moved the Lord to compassion, for they they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them. With the feeding of the 4,000, the multitude have been attentive to Jesus' teaching, and the cause of his compassion is their material need. They are so hungry that they cannot be trusted to find their way safely home. The description of the starving multitude is striking. Jesus comments to the disciples, saying, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Let's begin with the last point first. The normal way in which the Lord fed them, together with all of the children of Adam from the beginning of the world, is by means of the natural ordering of the world. God's providential care is such that he orders all things in heaven and earth, so that all people may be fed. Despite the depth of human depravity, the Lord does not simply withhold the bounty of the earth from all sinners, or all of mankind would long ago have perished. It is thus that we are taught in the small catechism to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Give us this day our daily bread, with this understanding. God gives daily bread, even without our prayer, to all wicked men, 
But we pray in this petition that he would lead us to know it and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. The normal manner in which the Christ feeds those who hear his word is through the normal means of daily bread. If the 4,000 could have returned to their homes, then one might presume that they would have simply returned to their homes, as so many did, when the Lord was teaching, and they would have eaten their daily bread there. But the feeding of the 4,000 is an occasion for the Lord of heaven and earth to offer a specific example of his providential care in the way in which he cares for the multitude. As with the feeding of the 5,000, the Lord gives thanks for the loaves, and that broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and they set them before the multitude. And the fish were distributed in like manner. Even in the midst of this miracle, still the Lord distributed to the multitude through means. So the Lord gave to the disciples, and then the people received their daily bread from the hand of the disciples. Therefore we see in the feeding of the 4,000 a miraculous example of the way in which the Lord provides for us every day. Consider the words of today's appointed collect, wherein we pray, O God, whose never-failing providence orders all things both in heaven and earth, we humbly beseech thee to put away from us all hurtful things and to give us those things which be profitable for us. The petition is twofold that the Lord would put away the hurtful things from us and give us the profitable things. The prayer thus acknowledges that without the Lord restraining the bad and granting the good, we would have cause to fear. And we are taught concerning this truth in the epistle reading appointed for today from Romans, the sixth chapter. St. Paul begins by making it clear that his language makes a certain accommodation to our weakness. And it is thus that he speaks of our slavery. Man is thus described as being a slave, either of one kind or the other. We are born slaves of sin, and in that slavery, we, as he says, were free in regard to righteousness. What claim does righteousness have on the one who is incapable of that which is righteous? We hear a related claim from those who try to defend their wickedness today. They'll say things like, Who are you to tell me what I can do with my body? says the mother who plans to murder her child through an abortion. Or we hear, Who are you to tell me who I can love? This is declared by one who is given over to a, to a heart of depravity. Or we hear the question, Who are you to tell me that I have to work for my daily bread? says the one who is given over to what the ancients called the vice of Acadia, but which we would now simply call lazy. Who are you to judge? Who are you to say? That's the language of the slave of sin, who tries to deny any claim of virtue on their behavior. In the midst of the protestations of the slaves of sin, St. Paul declares, What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? The slave of sin is free in regards to righteousness. But where is their slavery leading them? Walking in shameful slavery to sin, they know the truth of St. Paul's words, for the end of those things is death. To be preserved from such things is what we pray for when we pray, to, pray the Lord to put away from us all hurtful things. We are less concerned here for health, financial security, peace in the household, or any other such thing. 
Rather, our chief concern is that the Lord would preserve us from those things which would tempt us to return to the slavery of sin, which ends in death and condemnation. How many have fallen away from the way of, the, of the, uh, way of life because they've been so afraid of the loss of the things of this world that they betrayed the faith for the sake of worldly things? Among the most dangerous things that the sin-sick mind tells itself is that we aren't so bad and that people are basically good. This is because of the confusion between civil righteousness, that is, being law-abiding enough that we aren't imprisoned or executed as a menace to society, in distinction from true righteousness before God. Civil righteousness sets the bar pretty low because it's not concerned with the salvation of souls. Its big aim is to try to keep evil people from burning down the world. So on the civil righteousness scale, you can actually aim pretty low when it comes to the law, because the world doesn't care if you go to hell. There's no continuum between civil righteousness and righteousness before God, because they're not aiming for the same goal. The world is not interested in repentance and salvation. Rather, the aim is to punish wickedness to deter the evil of others. The outward good works of civil righteousness can be present without repentance and faith toward God. Offenses against civil righteousness result in a wide range of punishments. But sins against divine law have one end. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. For the wages of sin is death. And the standard here concerning the divine law is complete perfection. For as St. James wrote in the second chapter of his epistle, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. The outward appearance of the works of civil righteousness does not avail. For where there is no faith, there is no true righteousness before God. For it is, as St. Paul wrote to the Romans, Whatever is not from faith is sin. Therefore, what our evil deeds have earned is death is the death into which we were born, as the death into which we would pass when our brief span of days was ended, save for the gift of God, which we receive through faith in the Christ. It is thus that we pray in the colic to God, whose never-failing providence orders all things both in heaven and earth, that he would give to us those things which be profitable for us. For it is as we read in the words of St. Paul, but now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have been set free. We did not set ourselves free. The Lord, whose never-failing providence orders all things in heaven and earth, intervenes to work repentance and faith by the working of the Holy Spirit through the Word. It is the Lord who works faith, for it is he who proclaims his word, though he does, does so through his instruments, his called servants of the, of the word. It is the Lord who baptizes, though he uses the hands of the minister to pour the water and the lips of his servant to speak the word. It is the Christ who feeds the flock with his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, so that the bread and wine become his body and blood, and his servants distribute to the saints to eat, and to drink. As it was at the le lesser feast, how much more so at the greater? 
There was no confusion as to who fed the four thousand. It was Christ Jesus who thus multiplied the loaves and fish, and he gave to his disciples to thus feed the multitude. So much more so, then, when the Christ feeds the flock to forgive their sins. We do not earn a place at the table of the Lord. He grants this to us by grace, through faith in the Christ. We have been set free as the gift of God. The Lord paid the tremendous price for this gift. The Son of God became man and suffered unto death to atone for that which we had earned through our sin. The wages of our sin is death. And Christ Jesus died that death, that death for us, so that in his resurrection we would have life and hope through faith in him. We are led by the working of the Spirit through the law to thus see our sin and filled with sorrow over it, to repent before the Lord, trusting not in a merit in us, but trusting solely in the Christ, whose blood made payment for our transgression. The Lord, who had compassion on the multitude, laid down his life for our salvation. All that which is ours, which is good, is the gift of God. The one who orders all things in heaven and earth entered into his creation to deliver us from death, so that he might grant us eternal life. The risen Christ thus feeds and nourishes us in the midst of the wilderness of this world, strengthening faith and sustaining his saints, so that we would live forever with him, and thus always partake of the gifts of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. O God, whose never-failing providence ordereth all things both in heaven and earth, we humbly beseech thee to put away from us all hurtful things, and to give us those things which be profitable for us. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. The people of Salem Lutheran Church of Malone invite you to join them today for the 10 o'clock worship service. Sunday school follows after the divine service, and we are currently studying St. Peter's first epistle. Salem is, a lo is located approximately two miles north of Malone off of FM 308. For more information on Salem Lutheran Church or these broadcasts, you may visit us also on the internet at www.salemlutheranchurch.net. These broadcasts are provided through the support of the members of Salem Lutheran Church of Malone. <laughs>